From throwing soup to works of art to spraying with paint the headquarters of liberal think tanks, the group Just Stop Oil has captured the headlines in the UK in the last weeks. What is of interest is not only these novel forms of protest, but the positive reaction they got from significant parts of society. So what are we to make of such developments? Are we literally inviting barbarians at the gate? I'm Nikos, visiting fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute, and with me is Onkar Gatte, senior fellow and chief philosophy officer at the Ayn Rand Institute. Hi, Onkar. And Nikos. So, Ongar, I will present in, I will sum up what happened in the last weeks, and then I want a first comment from you, because this is something that we, we haven't seen in the past. So, towards the begin, towards the middle of October, we saw two young activists throwing soup to a very famous work of Van Gogh. And initially there was a shock, and initially there was condemnation in social media, but then people start, some people started making some comments such as, look, the actual work of art was not harmed because there was glass. And then after two, three days, more and more people started saying, you know what, this was actually a very clever protest because A, nothing happened to the work of art and B, today everyone is talking about it. Therefore, it is successful. But then encouraged by this reaction, these protesters started following new forms of action. So for example, going to the to Tafton Street 22, which is the headquarters of various quote, climate change denial, uh, which is actually means classical liberal think tanks like the Institute of Economic Affairs, and they were spraying it. Or they would go to some luxury shops and spray the shops. And also they went to some, uh, uh, to some ministries and they wanted to pass the message that we demand from the government to stop giving new licenses for the production of fossil fuels in the UK. Also, they disrupted the traffic in roads and their protest resulted to some people not being able to reach the, uh, their business, including actually some ambulances not being able to reach the hospitals. So I will try to make the best argument that has been made for the protesters, which is, Climate change is important. There was actually no violence towards any person. These were symbolic arts, sorry, symbolic acts, and even the pieces of art were not, uh, were not damaged. And they will say, we actually appreciate art, but there will not be any art in a future where the earth is uninhabitable due to climate change. Therefore, we had to do something to get the attention and we did this. No one got hurt. Therefore, this is a new era for activism. What's your comment on all this, Onkar? It, that it's evil. The, I find it outrageous, the, this form of protest and the reception. So you said, which I think unfortunately is true, that the protest has been effective in publicizing their cause and their claims. I think on Twitter, the video has seven plus million views. So in that sense, it has been successful, but I view that as it's an evil action and an evil cause has been successful. The idea that it's um, 
no one's been harmed. Well, what counts as harm? You brought up for some of the other protests, people having difficulty getting to the hospital. They're driving, one of them, one of the videos, whether this is true or not, but they're claiming, look, there's a sick person in the car. They're trying to drive them to the doctor or hospital and they can't get through. That doesn't count as a harm. And who are these people to decide what counts as a harm for other people and what doesn't? Imagine just, just take the museum protest that someone has um, loves Van Gogh, has planned a trip to the UK or to, 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 I mean, you can be within the UK, to visit the museum to see this. It's not easy that, for them to do it. And someone throws tomato soup on it and it closes either that wing of the museum or the whole museum. That's not a harm. And the, the idea, so all these kinds of protests, what they cloak themselves in the mantle of morality, that our cause is so just and so important that it trumps your life. It trumps your life, it trumps what you want, and, um, and we shouldn't suffer any consequences in regard to it. And that perspective that, um, your, that, that the protesters' life and political cause counts more than ever other people's lives and other people's causes. Like what happens if everybody, like it's not like there's only one view about any of these issues. The people who think that um, Europe's going to suffer greatly this winter for lack of energy and want more oil exploration or want nuclear energy, can they go and protest and throw soup on things and, and demand that, so part of the demand here is a hundred licenses for oil and gas exploration should be rescinded. Can someone say, well, a hundred's too little. We need 200. Why is the government not doing it? I'm going to stop traffic. I'm going to throw soup on paintings and so on until the government does this. And then it, it's, if you run, we should really think if everybody did this, it would be chaos. And the only reason it doesn't seem like that is so many people are sympathetic to the cause. And even if they say, I don't really like the tactics, but the cause is just, the cause is noble. But that's taking the politics into your own hands. It's now, I'm not gonna vote and have representatives. I'm gonna try to bypass the process. And in that sense, it's akin to terrorism. Okay, so for people to, to get a grasp on what we say that they were met with support, so there were many prominent scientists who came outright supporting these acts. And even the people, though, the majority of people who were critical, their main concern was this hurts the cause. So it's considered self-evident that the cause is right. It's considered self-evident that we're all with these people, that we're all backing environmental protest. But what if this particular form of protest was alienating? So I cannot think of any other cause, of any other political cause or political movement that enjoys such a, a consensus that is on the right side of history. And what I find very difficult to believe is how these people view themselves as outsiders. Because they're talking about disrupting the system. They think that they're outsiders. Whereas almost the entirety of the political class and of the media are supporting them. They're actually telling them, 
you are right. You you are the you have good by your side, but just make sure that your protest is as successful as possible. And as you said, imagine any other movement doing and following such a process. Now, this is not our topic. Well, uh, this is not our topic today. But how? Why is it that environmentalism? even after people have viewed this thing, even after people have viewed this vandalism, how is that it is intact in this, uh, in this verdict that we have, that it is a movement beyond any questioning? Well, if you think of some of the, the rhetoric around this, and, and one of the protesters then has another, uh, I think, was it posted first on TikTok or was it posted first on Twitter, like two minutes explaining Look, we knew that the painting was covered in glass, so there was no chance of, of damaging it, which I don't accept, but it's not for them to decide. It's not for the, any visitor or the museum to decide, I'm going to smoke around the painting or throw tomato soup on it. It won't damage it. I, I happen to know that. I'm not a curator. And so, yeah, so again, that someone can take that into their own hands, I don't accept. Um, but it, then it was, look, we're in, we're facing, basically, the argument is, we're facing apocalypse. And if we're facing apocalypse, how can you be complaining about um, what we've done? We threw, even if you really dislike that we threw soup on a painting. So if you think we're facing apocalypse, um, that, it, like, if you could get yourself into that um, mental space, then it's more understandable that they'll think like we have to basically do anything to people wake up and face the fact that we're facing an apocalypse. But that is, I view this talk of apocalypse like um, a religion that thinks we're at the end of days. And I mean, Christianity was like this. And that one interpretation of of Jesus and the preachers at the time were like a lot of people were preaching, we're at the end of days. And then it like, does it matter too much what you do? Because we're going to die. We're all going to die. And here it's, I mean, they say things like we're going to be run out of water in 2040. And like that's complete myth. Uh, I almost, almost feel sorry for these people in that it's such an indictment of their educational system that they can believe these kinds of things and that like the earth's never been warmer and really there was no water when the earth was warmer if you go through the millions of years of the earth's history and so on temperatures fluctuated and, and really there was no water and but they they're fed this in part in their education and part in their media and they believe it and if if you can get yourself into that mental space, then you should see, like, this is akin to how religious people think. And does anything distract them if they're committed to this cause in a religion, with a religious fervor? And I think, no, the answer. And there are two more issues on, on this religious fervor that you mentioned. The first is that I encourage people to go and follow Just Stop Oil on Twitter. You will see some points of view and some claims that the only way I can describe him is Alex Jones' level of conspiracy theory. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day talk, saying that every new extraction of oil is genocide. But the difference is that Alex Jones, for most people, gets the treatment that he deserves. 
he's not taken seriously. These people are official discussions of our political class, at least in the UK. These people are invited in media and we take their serious, we take their opinion as serious and as important. That's the first issue that we need to think. The second is someone who is sure that the world is coming to an end, but also they can point on who is to blame and who is to blame big uh, big uh, oil company CEOs, the evil capitalists. If you put these things two together, the world is going to come to an end and there are some people who are to blame. The only logical conclusion is that these people are fair game. There's an open season for these people. And we have already seen CEOs being targeted. We have already seen headquarters of companies being targeted. And my gloomy prediction is that we are not that far away from attacking actual, uh, being directly violent, indirectly attacking people. Again, because they are convinced that there's this disaster coming and we can point who is to blame. And the whole narrative of our time is to blame for that. Everyone agrees and nods when they say, yeah, obviously oil executives are evil, capitalists are evil. So now these useful idiots come and say, since they're evil and since they're bringing this disaster, we'll take it upon ourselves to do something. So am I too dramatic when I worry that they might actually turn more violent? I don't think so. And I think if you listen to them, it's that what they say is we will escalate our protest until we get our way. And that's that's why I said like it's akin to terrorism. It's we're going to uh, maybe we'll start with this, but we're going to keep going and we're going to escalate until politically people do what we say they should be doing. And it's you have to take that seriously. It's maybe not some of them might say, no, now this is going too far. I'm it's OK to do more like a stunt of throwing tomato soup and so on. But when we go start intimidating people or going to their personal residences, I'm uncomfortable with that. But there will be a class of people, and particularly because what you're dealing with is a religious mentality, who will say, no, you, we have to do whatever is necessary to fulfill this grand um, cause that we're all a part of. And in that context and in that kind of climate, I think you have to be worried. And I think the, the police should be worried and should be tracking some of these groups um, because they're open about it. Like we're gonna keep going until, not until people vote for the politicians, we wanna vote. It, 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 so it's, this is not at all a, um, a freedom respecting, uh, thinking themselves as part of a democracy, I need to convince voters and so on. This is, the, when they talk about direct action, part of what that means and part of what they say is we're bypassing the issue of convincing people. Um, and that again is what makes it akin to terrorism. We're, you're, we're gonna make your life uncomfortable enough that you'll give in. Um, and whether it's stopping traffic, whether it's um, going around and vandalizing museums and so on, we're gonna make life uncomfortable such that to get rid of us, you're gonna change your policy. Um, and that is, that, that is evil to do that. In a, in a, any, like in a semi-free country to do that. 
today they came up yesterday actually they came up with an announcement that says that we are pausing because we want to give the government time to think by the way this sounds like an ultimatum of a i don't know a kidnapper or something but anyway the most interesting thing after that is and we're pausing till friday so this is the ultimatum that you have four days to to think what what we told you to think and if you don't do what we tell you then we will proceed and again, some people might watch this and say, come on, guys, you might be a bit hyperbolic. Actually, the other day, Just Stop Oil on Twitter, they had the poll on who should be their next target. And they included the name of some, ele- some politicians, the name of a minister. So we are in a country in the UK where the police can knock on your door for an offensive tweet. And of course, they shouldn't. The people should have freedom of speech but this is a direct threat when you put on twitter a poll that says shall i go to nikos or to onkar to disrupt their life this is scary i feel threatened i might feel threatened and no one should have to balance are they gonna do it are they not gonna do it are they dangerous are they not dangerous so the one thing here is the thuggery of openly announcing that we're coming for you but the second is that they enjoy this privileged support, this privileged treatment. They enjoy this almost, uh, there's, they can get away with it. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what is the best way to deal with it? Because if you tell to the police, go crush them, one might say, this is exactly what they want, what the activists want. They want to appear as, we are the martyrs and uh, we are young idealistic kids and the police is coming after us. If no one does everything, anything, they now become more and more and more uh, confident that they can get away with uh, intimidating people. So first of all, why do they get away with it? We've seen people get canceled from Twitter for way less. And B, what would be the proper approach to deal with them? Be very strict with the risk of making the martyrs um i so being i think it is being very strict i um we've had some previous podcast episodes on more generally the issue of protest and that there isn't a right to protest so i would be much more strict not just with these protesters but with protests in general i think the the way people think about well pro- protests are part of a free society so is mistaken there, there's something to that idea that you, but not when you protest and disrupt other people's lives and property and interfere with other people's rights, including their right of way in public, like public roads that they can't get to a hospital and so on. That is not a legitimate form of protest. And I think the police should stop this, but across the board, it doesn't matter what, what cause you're protesting about. You should not be able to do these things. And the... So this goes up why they get away with it. And I think the media should treat it in the way. So so sometimes when you've got, um, say, a school shooting or in the U.S., we have these all the time, a shooting like the shooting in Las Vegas. And they think the person's doing it in part for publicity. And even if they're killed or kill themselves, they want their name to be like everybody knows. And. I understand the the news broadcast who they might say the name once and then they stop 
saying them. They're, they're not giving the people, the this person, the publicity that he seemed to have wanted. And I think it's the same for when you have protests that are disruptive like this. Um, and we can talk about the issue of civil rights because they invoke some of like, we're in the tradition of this. They are not in the tradition of that. And I think it, it's so the police should deal with it and the media should not publicize this. They should not be given the publicity that they're after. Um, and if you had that combination, it, it would make it much less likely that um, people would do this because it would not prove effective. But right now, I mean, I'm sure they're cooking up more stunts because their view is this, stunts and worse, because their view is this worked. And Onkar, last year, uh, you and me, we talked together a course uh, called The Road to Critical Race Theory, where we discussed many movements of the left from 1945 till our days. And we saw how that slippery slope, uh, slippery slope from doing some stunts to actually getting to violence. We, thought for, we saw, for example, many of the movements of the new left where there was this trend that they started by, quote, symbolic actions. Uh, such as, let's say, a product. Then the symbolic action became, oh, we just put a fire in a commercial store because it's symbolic against commercialism. Or then we put a bomb uh, in a military base symbolic against uh, the Vietnam War. And it quickly escalated to violence. And why? Because in every symbolic action, you had people nodding and saying, yes, you have a point and there's something to it. Now, something I want to make clear to our audience because again you could say you say that people sanction them but come on who are these people who sanction them so let us see who the group who just oil says that they are their supporters so in their website they say that they get funding by the climate emergency fund now, if you go to the Climate Emergency Fund's page and you see what are the actions that they support, they have it featured there. And I also gave a photo to our, uh, to our producing team. I don't know if they can display it. So they, they have a section where they say, our grantees are rising up and making headlines. And the action that they are so proud that is making headlines is that Blackstone CEO Steven Schwarzman is targeted at his New York home by climate activists. So here you have, here, here we see. So here you have a very mainstream climate fund. Why is it mainstream? Because it has been featured in publications such as Vox and in publications such as the magazine Marie Claire. And you have it advocating to the world, see how well we spend your money. We spend your money by going to that person, to that CEO's house. By the way, this is, a, this is intimidation in mafia style. We came to your house and get the message. But this is not the act of some fringe group supported by some fringe dark network. This is the action by a group, again, sanctioned by the media, sanctioned by celebrities. They, they get, these people gave an interview after throwing the soup. They gave an interview to uh, Owen Jones, who is a very prominent and respected leftist voice in the UK. 
And this interview was retweeted by athletes, by celebrities saying, hey, look, they have a point. And then you have these people being supported by respectable society and openly saying, look, we're doing good work. We are going to these people's houses and intimidating them. And then you might ask, okay, but who are these climate emergency funds? They are probably a fringe group, right? Wrong. They're not fringe. Again, they feature in many lists of the best environmental funds where if you give your money, it's going to be well spent. But also it is a fund which is funded by very prominent people in our society, by millionaires and by people who are even related to the oil industry. And let me be very clear. This is not, a con I'm not making this in a conspiratorial point. These are, I found them on their website after like one minute. What is actually worse is that this is not a conspiracy. These people actually believe that this is something virtuous. These millionaires, these rich people who give their money to climate emergency funds and the climate emergency fund who gives its money to groups like Extinction Rebellion or Just Stop Oil, they are proud about this. They, they are open that they are making something which is a good contribution to society. So the only thing that comes to mind, Onkar, when I see this, when I see capitalists giving money to these groups that openly tell them, we're going to come at your door, it's what Ron called the sanction of the victim. I don't know. Are they trying to buy off some guilt? I don't know why they're doing it, but I find it very scary. And I find very scary that it's so open. It's out there. that We are proud that these people are going and intimidating CEOs. Yes, I think it's partly a sanction of the victim and partly these people have turned against industry and against progress. So they're not only victims. And when they start really funding these kinds of things, um, they know what they're doing. I don't think it's only that they feel guilty and so on. It's there's many of them are joining this bandwagon. And I would put the issue of sanction more widely. So there is this the, the kind of phenomenon you're talking about and the support uh, and the funding of it. But if you ask about criticism of it, there's very little criticism of the content. So it's, we don't like the means and this is too far and it's gonna hurt, hurt the cause as you were saying previously. But the actual content is so irrational and nobody talks about that. So the, this idea, I brought up the idea like water is going to disappear in 24. That's crazy. And the, they're, the, and this is a common refrain from these kind of uh, environmentalist crusaders that people are dying now. We're literally, if you look at the state of the globe, there's never been more human beings living in a more prosperous way than today. Like literally today, there's billions of people on the planet and the standard of living, the, the, like the average standard of living has risen. So we're living at the most prosperous time and you have people coming out of schools telling you, Look, people are dying, and in 2040, we're going to have no water, and we're going to um, um, die of, of 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 drought, and we're and it's they say we're going to have no crops, and so on. This is all crazy. Like, this is all what a religion looks like. There's not any basis for this, 
and nobody pushes back against this or to take some more concrete kinds of things. Um, the, they make the claims that the oil industry is subsidized. So you have, and that's why it's so big and so on. There's no way that you could subsidize uh, thinking how big the oil and gas industry is. The idea that the, the root of its success and profitability is subsidies is again crazy. And notice that the oil companies are simultaneously demonized as you make such enormous profits. That's, that's um, you're selfish, you're greedy. We should take this away from you. And we have to subsidize you, otherwise you wouldn't exist. And you can put those two ideas together and yet they'll say both and nobody will challenge and say, this is crazy. Or what we need, again, this is all in this protest, just stop oil. What we need is um, um, solar energy and the renewables. And have you seen anywhere in the mass media, people bringing up that we cannot take you seriously. Let's accept for the sake of argument that um, oil and gas is leading to significantly higher temperatures, which is gonna be a significant problem. Let's say, if you really thought that and understood and valued human beings, you would be pro-nuclear energy. It would not be, we need solar panels and so on. Nuclear energy is proven. You can use it everywhere. And part of the shame of Europe is that in France and Germany, that they de were decommissioning plants and now they're trying to reverse that given what's happened with Russia and Ukraine. So, but like nobody should take a claim seriously that says we're gonna get rid of oil and gas and what we're proposing is not nuclear. We're proposing renewables and solar energy and geothermal. And yet that's what they say. And they get no pushback. So part of the sanctioning of it is this is on its face, if one actually thinks about it, irrational. And nobody will call it out as irrational. And before we proceed to more interesting uh, topics uh, related to the subject, um, having a look uh, at our viewers, many thanks for your uh, super chats. And a friend is saying that the police is literally helping the protesters. And we've seen this, we've seen these scripts, sorry, we've seen these scenes lately where the police are giving them some water or in the past asking them if you need anything. And I was thinking, how bad would it look if, imagine you have a Charlottesville type situation where you have white supremacists. Imagine the police going there and helping them. And you will say, yes, but these are bad people. But what about the people who want to take away the most crucial source for many, for billions of people's livelihood, which is energy? These people want to take away cheap, reliable, and, uh, and, and effective forms of energy. But even to mention about the developing world, in the UK, 50% of energy's production, not consumption, production, because consumption is even bigger, comes from fossil fuels. Can you imagine what would be the catastrophe if we take this away? Or in the UK, 7 million, seven million households, according to some research, live in energy poverty. Can you imagine what would happen if, 
in adding to this, uh, to, to how expensive energy is at the moment, we would take away the cheapest and most reliable forces of energy. So what is our moral evaluation of someone who wants to take this away? In my code, these people are really, really bad. And I would put them in the same category as other type of movements that most of us would agree are reprehensible and shouldn't have any sympathy. And yet they have all the sympathy in the world. And another friend is asking, who, who are these people that I compare to Alex Jones? Just Stop Oil. It's the Just Stop Oil, the group that uh, is behind these protests. And when I say that these people are discussants of the political class, Extinction Rebellion have been considered uh, reliable source and reliable discussants on this issue. And Greta Thunberg has been invited by Michael Gov, supposedly the, the free marketeer, has been invited to, the, to, to, the, to, to discuss environmental issues. So these are the people with whom the government, the conservative government is sanctioning, and these are the people who they consider as serious, uh, serious discussants. Onkar, any comment on any on this, or shall I proceed on my next well, question to you? I want to say just a word about the issue of the police. This is certainly yeah. true in the US, and my guess is it's true in the UK. The police don't know what to do, um, and they're given conflicting orders. And this is the wider issue of if you think that there's a right to protest, and if you tell the police, look, citizens have a right to protest, you're then as a police force and as a police a man or woman, you're supposed to protect that right. So what you do see is police helping protesters and sometimes giving them water and so on. And when you have counter protests, the police are supposed to keep them. Yeah, they should be able to sort of shout at each other and so on, but keep them so it doesn't come to blows. And so on. this is what happened in Charlottesville. The policeman who died was in a helicopter and they're sort of monitoring it because supposedly what their, their job is to allow the protest to continue, but not to allow it to get out of hand. Um, and it already is out of hand when you have people marching around with placards and this, that's what should not be allowed. But if it's allowed, then the police or their orders in effect are to help make this happen. That is to protect people's right to protest. And that, and you put, police in a no-win situation. If they allow too much and it gets out of hand, then it's, and there's investigations, you're like, why did you allow it to get out of hand? If they crack down too early, like too early, then it's like, why did you not allow people to protest and so on? And it's an impossible situation. So I don't not view like the primary culprit here, the police. They're not a culprit. They're given impossible orders. They are in an impossible situation. So, Olga, one last uh, issue I want to bring, uh, to put on the table. So it's not the first time in history that we have seen the environmental movement becoming disruptive slash violent. There's a difference, though, that the parts of the environmental movement that was violent in the early 80s were, for example, the, the primitivist group Earth First. Or later, we had uh, the Earth Liberation Front and the Animal Liberation Front. Very violent groups when it comes to, they would call it non-violence because it's to violence to property. 
But before 9-11, the record for the most costly attack when it comes to damages in the US was uh, uh, of the radical environmental movement. The thing, though, is that one could see this and say, look, these people were always outsiders. And that was my initial uh, idea that the, the violent part of the environmental movement was always put aside. And we always recognize it as a, a cacophony, as a, an outlier. But then I thought, wait a minute. The guy who was leading air first, David Foreman, his reward for his actions was a seat on the table of the board of directors of Sierra Club, which was the most prominent think the most prominent environmental organization in the U in the US. Captain uh, Paul Watson, the guy who is very proud that allegedly, which is a legend though that he encourages, has sunk whale ships and he has put himself many times between the whale and the ship and he has caused sabotage to the ships, allegedly, but this is what created his legend. This guy has gotten programs in Prime TV. And for seven years, there was the Whale Wars uh, TV series. So I'm thinking, is it indeed that the violent parts of the environmental movement were always isolated? Or is it that they were always getting a wink that we cannot have you on the mains, we cannot have you on the forefront? Because you need to be the naughty kids and we need to be appear as the most serious part of the movement, but keep doing what you're doing. You're doing well. Because I think this is what we are seeing. We are seeing more and more the, the, the most extremist getting this wink and the most extreme becoming closer and closer and closer to the mainstream. This is how we ended up with Extinction Rebellion being considered a, discu a, a discussion to, to appear on media point. So let me let me put this as simply as possible. Are these violent extremists for a lack of a better world? Are they the logical conclusion and the essence of environmentalism? Or are they a deviation from environmentalism? I don't think they're a deviation. I do think they are the logical conclusion or the, the logical endpoint of this kind of movement. And this, when you say of the that things like Earth First were isolated, um, I think of that as a tactic. So when you said it, like, or is there a wink towards them? There's a there's a simultaneous distancing from it, but saying, but they have the right cause, or putting it a little colloquially, their heart is in the right place. And so it's similar to what you hear here that it's we don't necessarily agree with the tactics but the wider cause yes that what they're fighting for they're not in the right way so there's a simultaneously distancing yourself from it and um uh accepting the cause and for environmentalism to have gone mainstream in the way that it has so you were talking about the course we were teaching i mean one of the things we talked about is the environmental movement has been the most successful post-World War II movement in, in its penetration, both into the kind of wider public consciousness and into education.
And I think part of what, for that to have become mainstream in the way that it did, it had to have some distancing from people like Earth First, but not a real condemnation of it. And that's part of what is when you say that, yeah, then they become, he's on the board of the Sierra Club and so on. That's, it's your, you simultaneously want to have your cake and eat it too. And I think that is a, a dynamic in bad movements. That's something you see that the simultaneously distancing and not distancing it. And here, if the, the real animation of the environmental movement is to think that uh, human beings are a pollution on the earth, that what, what we really value is nature, and you can see some of this in the just stop oil of what they talk about. What we value is nature, which means wilderness. It means untouched by human beings. And so part of what we talked about, uh, have been talking about is their complete disregard for the lives of actual human beings, whether it's the, the people who are disrupted by a public protest that clogs the streets and they can't get to their offices or doctor's offices and hospitals, the reality of an individual human being and their life, and that it's important, it's not real to them. The, and it's the same if you just disrupt a museum. You couldn't care less about the other people in that museum. And the broader thing is they don't recognize the value of energy. I mean, that's part of what you were bringing up in regard to the, I mean, Europe is in a potential crisis if, um, going into the winter, given what European energy policy has been. And part of that has been to try to make fossil fuels next to impossible to use. And if you're looking at the lives of individual human beings, you need energy, the prosperity and modern civilization requires an enormous amount of energy and has been made possible by the use of energy. And if you can't care and don't care about this and think you're gonna swap the sunshine for it and so versus like something much more credible as we talked about would be nuclear energy and so on. You're then the, the lives of individual human beings is not real to you. What's real to you is we're trying to get back to nature, which was one of the slogans, which is get back to wilderness. And that is, if you take that seriously as a goal, um, what it means is we have to radically reduce human population, if not get rid of it as such. And the only way, the only way you can do that is through force and coercion. Um, and that, so that, that that's what they will resort to. And that you can see in this, like it's, it's the, the zeal of the religious is we've got our faith to hell what you think and to hell with your life, we're gonna push it through. And that is a recipe that what we're gonna get is uh, a resort to force and you're already seeing it. So it's not true that these protests aren't using force. They may not have killed somebody, but they're certainly using force. And uh, what amount of soul searching leftists should do that they are now fellow travelers with people who think that they 
that the population of the earth needs to be significantly diminished. Why am I saying this? Because one of the first critics of Malthus, who was the, the, the person who made popular the idea that we haven't got enough sources, was Marx. And 150 years later, you find leftists hand in hand with Malthusians, if not leftists being the best, uh, uh, the best uh, Malthusians. Again, a big thank you to our super chatters. Thank you for your kind words. Why can't industry transform the energy needs instead of uh, politics? Uh, I don't understand really the question. If you want to reframe it, that would be good. Another friend says that one of the reasons why, uh, and the, the reason that subsidies are okay and are considered politically popular is so that we can subsidize uh, wind and solar. And this is true, actually, that uh, the reason that wind and solar manage to have the limited effect that they have today, even that limited effect, is mostly through subsidies. And when people talk about subsidizing uh, oil and fossil fuels, keep in mind that these subsidies mostly take place in places otherwise, uh, sorry, elsewhere and not in the West. We're talking about places like uh, Venezuela or places uh, like the countries in the Gulf. This is where mostly you will find subsidies to fossil fuels. So again, the protest against subsidies to fossil fuels are misplaced to say the, the least. So, and one last point, uh, Onkar, and uh, I, I mentioned what I want to mention, but at some point you said that someone is going to bring up something like the honorable and virtuous uh, civil rights campaign, where people were in the streets, where people were engaging in civil disobedience, and where people were saying, I know I might get arrested, but... Here is a very serious and very important mission and very important injustice that needs to be corrected. And I'm going to protest and I'm going to get arrested. And a lot of these people today, they see themselves as the heirs of the suffragettes, as the heirs of the civil rights movement. Is there something to the way they view themselves? No. And it's important that one understand that the answer is no. It is one thing to engage in civil disobedience when you're protesting an unjust law and are willing to take the consequences. You're showcasing the unjustness of the law and you're expecting people, the, like, the citizens of the country to see, yeah, a really, We're, the police are descending on these people and we've got a law on the books that says this? So if you think of it in the US context, it's you're disenfranchising blacks and other colored people. They're not equal citizens. And that they will protest that and that Martin Luther King protested that is a form of showcasing these laws are unjust and should be stricken down. He's put in jail and is willing to bear the consequences to showcase the injustice. And particularly in this case, it's laws that are disenfranchising these people so that it's either impossible or very difficult to vote. Um, so part of the protests were about voter registration and so on, that you can't tell these people, look, settle the issue at the ballot box. Their whole complaint and legitimate complaint is 
we're can't resort to the ballot box because you've taken the vote away from us. So that's a radically different context than these people, these protesters, they can vote. They, you can form political parties, support candidates. So part of the complaint is, and if you watch the video is, we don't like what the elected officials are doing. Yeah, we'll form <laughs> another party and vote and, and campaign for candidates that you want, but don't resort to interfering with other people's lives because you don't like how they voted. That is a form of um, intimidation of people who were exercising the franchise. And so for them to say, oh, we're in the tradition of Martin Luther King is to blacken Martin Luther King's um, achievement and, and his name. And they should not be allowed to carry that mantle. They're doing the opposite of what he was trying. When you put it like, when you put the lens on, he's trying to make it that blacks and other people of color are viewed by the law as equal citizens. And that this is not what the, these people are putting themselves above everybody else. And our views count more than anyone else's views. And that's the opposite of what was done in the US civil rights movement. And environmentalism has always been a movement against the many, against the, against the needs of uh, people to have cheap energy, to have material abundance. And this is why some years ago, they were mostly targeting, for example, budget airlines. So how dare uh, working class people travel to Mallorca or to Crete? Uh, they, do they really need these, uh, these holidays? Okay, one last uh, question. Man, many thanks again to Oral Friends. Many thanks to Shruti for your super chat. So, okay, William, I got your question. So, William asks, why is it that the ener our energy needs, why aren't they covered by the energy industry? And the answer is simple, because they have so many hurdles that they have to face. How easy it is today to open a nuclear factory? How easy it is today to engage in fracking? Fracking is banned in the UK and in other uh, European countries. Least trust, one of the good things was she would move away from the ban on fracking. Now it looks like we're going to have this ban being reintroduced. So the energy industry is in some ways, not in some ways, their, their hands are tight. They also have, I would say, a responsibility because they don't stand up for themselves morally. Quite often you see them saying, Yeah, we know we're the bad guys, but please let us be. But also the main villain here are the people who have tied their hands and they are not allowed to provide to us the energy, the cheap, reliable energy that we need. So these are my uh, points. Many thanks again to our super chatters. Many thanks to our audience. Onkar, I will leave the last words to you. So what we're witnessing here, you can think of it at the, the level of it's a political protest and political stunt. But what the real phenomenon is, is what you're witnessing is the ascendancy of environmentalism as an ideology. You're seeing more and more in the open that it's akin to a religion and the depressing but also frightening aspect of it is how little opposition it's facing. So even something that I would put the, the, the 
the contemporary phenomenon it's closest to is so-called the woke or wokeism, that gets more pushback than environmentalism does. And th this is this is part of what is, uh, I mean, part of the reason we're talking about it is these are, it's driven by ideas and they're deeply uh, destructive ideas that are, they're anti-progress and they're anti-human civilization. And if you watch some of the, the videos and you really listen and listen to the arguments, you can see that in the what they're arguing and what they don't bother to pay attention to. And it, so this is a phenomenon that it warrants careful thinking about and real opposition. If you come to the view to think there's something really destructive here because this has, it's, it's the ideology I think that is most widespread in the West today. So this was it for today, friends. So we're gonna be in Clubhouse for a while. It's gonna be a short uh, Clubhouse, but if you have any comments, if you have any further questions, or if you want to, the contrib to contribute to the discussion, we'll be glad to see you there. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe so that, and also that you get notifications every time the Iron Run Institute channel uploads something. There's a lot of things happening. There are talks from uh, Ocon, from the Objectives Conference of last summer being uploaded every week and programs that are quite uh, special, interviews of Ayn Rand. So there's always something happening in our channel. Also, make sure that you can send us questions and suggestions about future episodes. Is there, an, is there a topic that you would want it to see covered by our intellectual? Make sure that you send us a suggestion. You're going to see the email there, newideal at ironrand.org. We also have a topic for next week. I don't, not sure if the graphic is ready, but we might keep it as a, no, not as a surprise. There's a discussion on the midterm elections. So next Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific time. And on that note, thank you very much for keeping us company. Thank you, Onkar. And thanks everyone. Again, we're gonna be in Clubhouse for this discussion to go on for another 25 minutes. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nikos. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.